0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to Election Day. Last week, I deconstructed Trumpism, but more importantly and more broadly, this phenomenon of the politics of anger, the politics of fear and demonization and tribalism and totem construction. And that's what's made the past couple years in politics so particularly painstaking and saddening to cover. In this episode, I want to do sort of the reverse of that. While there are so many negative sides to the modern political landscape, there are things going on right now that are greatly positive, that give me hope. So in this episode, I want to talk about my optimism in politics heading into 2021, why even in a year as bad as 2020, there can still be good coming out the back end of it as we wrap up the month of December. And as I promised the last week, I am going to do that in part by taking a look at Joe Biden's acceptance speech, because that was something that inspired me. And I think for those of us looking to understand a Biden administration, we can sort of come out of the speech with somewhat of a better framework for understanding how President Biden might govern. Before I get to the speech, though, the first thing I want to talk about is the COVID-19 pandemic. Even though this has dominated our lives and made this year so tragic, I think even in COVID-19, there is hope. Number one, the vaccine. Both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines have been approved, and now people are actually getting vaccinated. It's amazing that within a year, we already have a vaccine. This is crazy fast development. It's actually being rolled out, so the first stage of essential workers and people in vulnerable demographics are already getting the vaccine. That's greatly encouraging. And by this summer, we can probably expect that a good proportion of the American population will have received the vaccine. And as I have stressed even on this podcast, of course, there will be difficulties even within the vaccine. How can we get enough doses? How can we counter the anti-vaccination movement? And of course, even the vaccine is not a be-all end-all, still cautionary measures would be required. And if you're curious about this, I suggest that you do go up and learn more about the COVID-19 vaccines, but obviously this is a political channel, so I won't go in too deep about that. But anyways, I think this vaccine at least gives us somewhat of a timeline, that by this time next year, we won't be in this situation. In the fight between humanity and this virus, we finally have a like up, we finally have some weapon to fight back, other than just social distancing, shut down your businesses, wear masks, we actually have something, something that's a real permanent fix that can shut this down once and for all, and again, I don't want to get hopes up too much that once you get vaccinated, you don't have to be careful anymore, that's not what I'm suggesting, But still, the fact that we have a vaccine going into the new year gives me so much hope that things will come to an end, that the pandemic will be over, and that we will be allowed to return to normal. So that's the first thing relating to COVID-19, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines being approved, and that they will be rolled out on a mass national scale. And number two is about the economic stimulus bill currently in Congress being negotiated. It, it is too late. This should have come earlier and more frequently. People are in dire need. People can't afford housing, can't afford food. Their businesses are being shut down through no fault of their own. They're losing their jobs. This is... A horrible, horrible economic situation, and this is a time where the government does need to step in. It looks like they're finally going to do that. It looks like they're finally going to pass a second economic stimulus bill. If you take a look at the news, it says Congress is closing in on a bill that both parties can agree to. That includes $600 checks and $300 in weekly jobless aid. And that might be passed, it's going to be negotiated over the weekend, and could be passed by this time next week. For the people and the families that are in the greatest need, this will be such a relief. This will be so important to them. The fact that now we have Nancy Pelosi, and also Mitch McConnell, Whether for political reasons or not, the fact that they agree to the essential premise that people who are struggling need help from the government, even that is a breakthrough. And if that can be achieved in the next week or in the next two weeks, that won't be a cure, it won't be a solution, but it'll at least put a bandage, perhaps, on some of the economic wounds inflicted by the pandemic. And we can have that going into the next year. So having this agreement to a $900 billion overall stimulus agreement is greatly encouraging that Congress will actually act on this large of a scale that is necessary. So yes, of course the situation is still bad. In the U.S., this is the worst the COVID-19 pandemic has ever been, exceeding the first and the second waves. We have days that almost equal the death total from a day like 9-11. Any record, any bad record relating to COVID-19, we have pretty much broken and broken again. But we have hope going into the next year. We have the vaccine, we have an economic relief bill waiting to be passed after negotiation. So that greatly encourages me in that I have conviction that by this time next year, we won't be where we are now and our lives will be at least a little bit more normal. The next thing I want to talk about is the transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, and Trump's refusal to concede that he lost. As hopefully you know already, the Electoral College voted this week in favor of President-elect Biden with not a single faithless elector. This means that aside from projections or anything, Biden is now officially, constitutionally, no doubts about it, the president-elect. And with that, as we've seen over the past maybe almost two months now, Trump's attempt to overturn the election has been grinding to a halt, and now it looks like it's pretty much dead. There really is no legal recourse without going into the realm of basically taking over democracy. And Mitch McConnell, who is the top most influential Congressional Republican as the Senate Majority Leader, he has congratulated President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. And according to reports, he's encouraged his fellow Republicans in Congress not to oppose Biden and continue to support Trump. He has pretty much declared the election... Dead. Trump's attempt really, with the defection of McConnell, will lose a lot of outspoken Republican supporters. More so than Mitt Romney or anyone else, this truly marks a turning point in my view. One of the amazing things about Trump's effort is that it really does test the integrity of our system. Usually, On election night, the loser will concede. But now Trump has pushed it again and again. And so Biden had to win again and again, have his victory confirmed. And at every step along the way, he's done it. He did it on election night. He did it when the votes were recounted and then certified. He won at the Supreme Court. Now he won at the level of the Electoral College. At every step of the way, the institutions our democratic institutions and system of government have stood up. This is a really encouraging sign for American democracy that no Trumpism has not completely taken over. No, these Republican leaders will not betray their conscience and their country just to abide by Trump. And so I want to take a moment to applaud political courage because we often don't take the time to applaud when when someone did something right, and we only criticize when someone did something outrageously wrong. But it does take a lot of political courage to hold up to Trump's effort. I'd like to applaud Georgia's governor, Brian Kemp, and his Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. Georgia is still a state where there is strong support for Trump's version of the Republican Party. And so he was continually attacked by his own fellow Republicans in Washington, and by President Trump. He was pressured, but he stood up. Brian Kemp stood up. And I wouldn't be surprised if his polling numbers begin to drop where I've already begun to drop because of the loss in support from loyal Trump supporters. But he... Did what he knew was right. They did what they knew was right, and I would like to applaud that. They certified the Georgia results three times. Same with Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, who muted Trump's call and said, You know what? In fact, the most important thing is not my relationship with the president, it's that I'm contributing to America's history of democracy and listening to the people. Georgia and Arizona are only two examples. There are much less recognized people, election officials, smaller state governors, secretaries, poll workers, people at various stages of the process who stood up for the system. So I would like to applaud everyone who held up this election for their courage for their political courage and that also gives me great hope for the future of america that there are still so many people dedicated to that idea america was literally one election away we were november and december of 2020 away from devolving into an illiberal democracy where trump can pretty much take over See countries all over the world like Turkey, maybe even worse. But Americans fought for democracy. Americans made sure that the people they elected, even if they didn't actually vote for Biden, was able to become president because that's how it's supposed to work. Democrats and Republicans alike worked to achieve this point where biden will become president on january 20th because unfortunately that wasn't guaranteed this year the electoral college did it they put an end to the election mitch mcconnell no matter how late and no matter how grudgingly did it we did it again and again and again and i would like to applaud that trump's challenge and bid to overturn the election results obviously was saddening, and I've talked about it repeatedly on this podcast. But the fact that it failed, no matter what sort of damage it may leave and the repercussions that we may have to deal with, it failed to instill Trump as the next president, it failed to overturn democracy and achieve a coup, and that is something profoundly positive coming out of Trump's challenge. Now for the main segment, Joe Biden's acceptance speech after the projections announced that he had won. Just like with Donald Trump Jr.'s speech from last week, I'll only read selected segments that I think really display a point because this is a long speech. I want you to keep in mind the purpose of this speech, which is to unify America, that we put the campaign season behind us, and that Joe Biden wants to move in a direction of unity rather than fear and division. And we also see little tidbits that show what kind of goals and what kind of direction he wants to move in over the next four years. Obviously, because of the weird situation we have with the Georgia runoffs, Joe Biden has had to go back into campaign mode. And we've learned a lot more about his priorities with his cabinet picks which I'll talk about in a later episode. But the speech still does give us a lot of information. I think it's an exceptionally written speech, so I'll break it down now. The very first statement in this speech is this. Folks, the people of this nation have spoken. They have delivered us a clear victory, a convincing victory, a victory for we the people. This rings so loudly right now Just after the Electoral College voted for him and just after Trump's attempt seems to be dead at this point. It was so important for Biden to reaffirm this victory because it was so immediately clear that Trump was not going to accept a loss. So Biden is doubling down, right? The people have spoken. It's a clear victory. It's a convincing victory. And now that he will be president, now that the transition worked as it should, this is even more of a powerful statement, at least to me right now. And this next statement, and I'm humbled by the trust and confidence you have placed in me. I pledge to be a president who seeks not to divide but unify, who doesn't see red states and blue states, only sees the United States. This is what I was talking about when I introduced this speech, right? It's this idea of unity. The last four years of Trumpism and the Trump administration, but more broadly the political landscape that results from that, were about harnessing the power of division to pursue political power. This politics of fear and anger and tribalism And that's something that Joe Biden wants to put behind, as we can see from this quote. Not divide, but unify. As a candidate who was relatively moderate and ran a platform about compromising and working with Republicans, he does mention this great partisan divide and polarization that we have. But then he mentions country before party, right? we are Americans before we are Democrats or Republicans, and that all states are American states before they're Democratic states or Republican states. And after an administration that has been so defined by partisanship, by forming teams, I think that is a powerful statement. And that's one that he echoed throughout the campaign and after being elected president. The reassurance... That he won't just be a democratic president but an american president moving on he says i sought this office to restore the soul of america to rebuild the backbone of this nation the middle class and to make america respected around the world again and to unite us here at home i think that's the closest thing we've seen to a thesis statement for the biden administration just policy-wise If we want to think about Biden's priorities, it's all there, right? To restore the soul of America. Basic human decency. The country has truly been shredded apart by this social and political landscape. And I think Joe Biden, much like former President Obama, is someone who believes in this essential spirit, this essential goodness of America that can be restored and replenished once we put aside all that makes our society and our politics difficult, and then economically to rebuild the middle class. That is something that progressives, Democrats, but even Republicans have been pushing for a long time, that the economy is only working for a select few and not for the vast majority of people. So whether or not he actually does it, Biden's objective, his end goal when it comes to the economy, is to create a system that works for the people in the middle, that works for everyday working families, and then to make America respected around the world again. I think I've talked about this in prior episodes about his foreign policy. But Trump's foreign policy was largely to pull out. It was largely transactional in that how can you like pay America? How can you directly do something for America? Whereas Biden has this much more expanded view of America's role in the world compared to Donald Trump's isolationism. Joe Biden believes that America should get involved and be in the leading seat at the table internationally, that America serves a very important purpose as the top of this world order that has been established in the past century. And most importantly, aside from just policy goals, we hear this theme again of to unite us here at home. Biden didn't get elected by using the politics of fear and anger and division. Biden, for sure, won much more on this idea of unity, that his coalition will accept anyone and everyone from any point on the political spectrum. There is some fundamental belief stemming from how Joe Biden won the election in the first place that we are more alike than different that if we can just lower the temperature in our politics, we can work together. We can unite and escape this negative partisanship, that we can bridge the gaps that we see today. And these are all themes and even wordings that will continue to appear later in the speech that he will build upon. Speaking of the coalition, that from the start, from the primary, Joe Biden won the nomination and ultimately the president by bringing in people who might not necessarily want to vote for him as their first instinct. He says, quote, I am proud of the coalition we put together. Democrats, Republicans, independents, progressives, moderates, conservative, young, old, rural, suburban, gay, straight, transgender, Native American. So again, that's an appeal somewhat to the concept of unity. The word coalition means people coming together, all these different people coming together under Joe Biden's campaign for one goal, that we were on one team, no matter how different people were. And obviously that's also lip service to a large portion of the Democratic Party that places a particularly high value on diversity and then he actually reaches out a hand to Trump supporters people he has fundamental disagreements with and a large proportion of whom sincerely hate Joe Biden he says for all those of you who voted for President Trump I understand the disappointment tonight I lost a couple times myself now let's give each other a chance And just bringing it back to this larger idea of optimism and hope going into 2021, it's a very encouraging sign that our next president cares about even people who disagree with him, that he cares about the people he beat. When he says, when he asks for a chance, he really does care that he is able to govern for people who didn't vote for him he is able to empathize with their experience right and i want this to be a positive episode but can you imagine trump doing that if he won i mean even in a loss he tried repeatedly to overturn the results but joe biden is unity not division once again reaching out the very next statement It is time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again, and to make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as an enemy. They are not our enemies, they are Americans. I don't know if I can restate or even analyze that better myself. Unity, not division, I think that was perfectly put. We don't have to demonize and totemize the other side. We don't need fear when it comes to political conflicts or political tensions. We need cooperation and understanding. I particularly like this phrase, lower the temperature, because I think it really signifies one of the greatest duties that the Biden administration must achieve if it wants to be successful in its legacy, because... The Trump administration has raised the temperature so much on both sides. He has totally riled up his base. He has angered the other side by doing all sorts of potentially outrageous things. And so Joe Biden wants to just calm us all down, that the flames of anger will die down and that we don't see everyone as enemies. I really, really like this statement. And then right after, the Bible tells us to everything there is a season, a time to build, a time to reap, and a time to sow, and a time to heal. This is the time to heal in America. Reinforcing that previous statement, this is the time to lower the temperature, and it's the time to heal. There have been so many wounds inflicted in so many ways And now is a time to just take a break from that, that we put aside the division and allow the deep divisions in our country to heal. And then this next one is a long statement, but I'm going to read out the full thing, because I think this also is somewhat of a thesis statement, if more concrete, about specific policy items. And I think... Maybe if you want to take time to digest that, take notes on maybe particular things that you will look out for as the Biden administration takes multiple actions. But I'll read this full paragraph. America has called upon us to marshal the forces of decency, the forces of fairness, to marshal the forces of science and forces of hope in the great battles of our time the battle to control the virus, the battle to build prosperity the battle to secure your family's health care, the battle to achieve racial justice and root out systemic racism in this country, and the battle to save our planet by getting climate under control. This is where he does take a nod to his actual platform, and one of the main things I did notice here was this is a fairly progressive agenda right? He's not going to go to the great lengths that, you know, congressional Democrats can go, like AOC, but he does tick off all the items that should be addressed by a traditional Democratic candidate. COVID-19 is the thing that he won the election on. Prosperity, and that is, as he said before, about the middle class and economic justice. Healthcare is a pet issue. Racial justice and systemic racism that became even more of a leading issue over the summer. And climate. I could talk about these issues for so long, and I will make separate episodes later, but climate change is an incredibly important and unfortunately democratic issue. And in this paragraph, I do get more Obama or Elizabeth Warren-like vibes when he talks about the forces of hope and then he talks about all these different battles that we need to fight and so that's just an interesting thing that i noticed that biden is channeling more of these charismatic progressive voices in this he actually continues by saying the battle to restore decency defend democracy and give everyone in this country a fair shot. That is all they are asking for, a fair shot. Restore decency. That is partially what I was talking about earlier, and that's how I interpreted the phrase, the soul of America, that there is an essential goodness to this country. Defend democracy. Our institutions have been pushed to a brink by Trump, as I have said before, and we need more stability overall. And then a fair shot. This is, and I think Biden intentionally avoided this phrase to avoid sounding too much of a Democrat, but this is, I think, code for social justice. It's that we want a society that is more just than the one we have now, where people have a fair shot, where everyone is afforded equal opportunity. And then he does talk about what right now is the most important policy item, which is COVID-19. Folks, our work begins with getting COVID under control. He gives some description of why that's important, and then he talks a little bit about how his plan will work. But the main point is this emphasis that COVID is such an important issue. I have a lot more faith in the Biden administration's COVID response than I do in the current administrations, especially as, as I talked about in the very beginning, a lot of things are clicking. And moving on. Folks, I am a proud Democrat, but I will govern as an American president. I will work as hard for those who didn't vote for me as those who did. Let this grim era of demonization in America begin to end here and now. Let's just absorb that for a second because I think that is a powerful statement. It sums up a lot of the themes I deconstructed a little earlier that we want non-partisanship, leaving partisanship behind, and unity, not fear and division. He again repeats, we must restore the soul of America, that we can recover a better country before this era of political darkness. I just want to state these two final quotes that I think are incredibly powerful and when we think about my broader theme of that we have optimism and hope heading into the next year, that the next year in politics will be a brighter year than this one. I think these two are incredibly powerful statements, so here they are. Here's the first one. This is a great nation. It has always been a bad bet to bet against America. This is the United States of America. There has never been anything we have not been able to do when we have done it together. Number two, let let it be the nation that we know we can be, a nation united, a nation strengthened, a nation healed. This was a speech that I was really inspired by. I really loved it and I can watch it over and over again. It was really a JFK-like speech, and that's why I think there's a lot of value in just reading it to you now. But I really do want to take away this, that 2020 has been not a good year, that's for sure. But next year can be one where we are united, we are strengthened, we are healed. And that's why, as we wrap up 2020, I have optimism.